you'll you'll do more than you were ever able to do if if you hadn't made that choice. But you have to be comfortable with it, right? Not everybody is comfortable with risk, at least on the level that I am. But yes, I think you, you can't just you know think in a narrow way uh, and expect great things to happen. Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Hello, and welcome back to the Destiny Benders podcast. Today, our guest is Lisa Besso, who is a founding partner of Global Ed Professionals. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. It's good to see you again, Lisa. It was nice to connect with you at NAFSA, and we're really happy to have you here. It was so great to be at NAFSA and just see people in person, wasn't it? (laughs) It was very much so. As we always do on our podcast, we generally start out with the question, how did you get started in international education? Tell us your story, your journey in international education and start, go all the way back, start from the beginning. <laughs> you know, where, where did that first interest get peaked and, and take us through to where you are today? Sure. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a, a mid-career career changer, I guess. I, I, I worked in advertising for the first part of my career. I, was, I studied photography uh, uh, as an undergraduate student, fine art photography, and worked for many years in advertising. And just, I, I think I was about 30 at the time when I realized I, I was just ready for a big change in my life. And I had a, a marriage that was ending, and I kind of found myself with um, an opportunity to do whatever I really wanted for the very first time. And I considered a number of things like going to graduate school or just changing jobs or doing something completely crazy and risky. Um, and I had always wanted to live somewhere else and not just be a traveler. So I decided um, I was just going to quit my job and move to Italy. That's kind of the spark that made all of this happen. And uh, what I did was I went to the president of the agency where I was working and I explained what I wanted to do. And he said, well, that's pretty cool, but uh, I don't want to squash your dreams, but we had always talked about making you vice president. So how about if we do this? Um, Go take a few months off, but come back and continue to work for us um, in this new role with this new salary. And it was a lot to consider, but it also seemed like something I shouldn't say no to, right? So I I decided to take him up on it. And I I went to Italy and did a kind of scouting trip um, to see what life would be like. And I met a woman who um, uh, was running a company for 
uh, executives, Italian executives, and she needed someone with business experience to help teach her executives business English. But she said, you have to get certified because I was one of these naive Americans thinking I can teach English because I speak English. <laughs> um, and, and she was British and she said, no, you need to go back and, and get yourself certified. So uh, I kept up with her and uh, I went back and I did my CELTA um, in New York City in Manhattan and uh, moved back uh, to Italy after completing a year or so at the advertising agency where I had been working. But the, you know, the fever had caught me being in Italy and, and then taking the CELTA, I realized that this whole new world was going to open up uh, to me. So I went back, uh, I worked for her for about three years, during which 9-11 happened. So that was kind of fascinating to be there and to talk to these executives about, well, this happened. Like, what would, what do you do? And you, so it gave, it gave us this whole, you know, realistic situation to, to talk about. And, you know, through that, I realized how much I really enjoyed what I was doing and wanted to do more and decided to come back to the States and go to grad school because I just ran into I just ran into walls in Italy. You know, they say that happens, and I think we don't want to believe that, uh, but it's true. I, I needed a graduate degree to to do anything more than what I was doing. So uh, came back and I got involved um, with EF Education. You know, pretty big global language school provider, but they do a lot of other things too. A lot of us, I think, have worked for EF in one form or another over the years. And uh, I got a job as a school director um, at their school in New York. So we did that during the day and uh, I went to grad school at night and just and stayed with EF for a few years and eventually uh, left there, worked for Embassy English, another large language chain, um, and grew just grew in the roles that I had over time. I was lucky enough to uh, to move to Australia for embassy. So I, I ran their Aust Australasian division, I guess you could call it, it's Australia and uh, New Zealand. Got the opportunity to work down there and then just explore, you know, places that were more easily accessible from Australia, like, uh, you know, Southeast Asia. And so after that, um, like a lot of us, uh, had family back here in the States and uh, some family situations going on. So I decided to come back and transferred to the higher ed division of study group that, you know, so sort of the nascent time of pathway programs and, and ultimately became vice president of their uh, pathway division um, in North America. Did that for a few years and then uh, decided I just didn't want to work as much as that required uh, and travel like 75% of the time, which was, which was pretty tough and decided to kind of branch out on my own at that point. Did a, a lot of consulting work, but not under the, the auspices of, of global ed profs in the way that we're doing it now, but worked with um, some high school pathway programs, uh, helped with a, with a newly forming division of ELS, of their pathway division. So my hands have been all over, you know, English language teaching and, and the development of, of pathway programs, which 
was really fascinating because it was an opportunity to help people at higher ed institutions learn something new. <laughs> um, because, you know, these universities really didn't know, you know, that we're talking about 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, when, you know, highly reputable institutions didn't really know how to recruit, didn't know how to set up programming, didn't know how to support students. So it was just great to be in a position where I really felt like we were we were helping people understand what they needed to do to be successful. Yeah. So I've been doing that really for the past few years and um, I'm trying to work less. I'm trying to retire, but it's just too interesting. You know, I, I, I keep being pulled back into stuff that I really like doing, working with a, with a college in Brooklyn um, who had, had no idea how to internationalize and they've just become a real success story and continuing to work with institutions like that is it's just it's just hard to step back and and disconnect myself completely wow that that's a fascinating story <laughs> there's a lot in there but <laughs> well, that's it, you pretty know cool though like you've taken some bold steps and you've made some bold changes in life but but I do want to ask you this so you said you went to school to be a photographer um, is that what you grew up thinking that you're going to be? So tell us a little bit about that part of it. Um, no, I wanted to be a veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> but as I learned in trying to, to, to figure out whether I was going to go to veterinary school or not, I realized it's one of the hardest programs to be accepted into because there were so few veterinary schools. And I just wasn't confident enough. And I wasn't as good a student as I think I needed to be, you know, to, to have been accepted. But I've always been a bit of a creative type and a little bit of a, I don't know, a person that just is a bit of an outsider to all things mainstream, you know. So I, 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 I then went down that creative path into photography. That's, you know, that's so interesting. And the reason I asked you, and I'm glad you didn't want to be a photographer when you're in high school, because we, we <laughs> see a lot, you know, in my work, I, I speak with a lot of students who just don't know what they want to do. But I also work with a lot of peers in the industry who still kind of maybe struggle with what's next or where do I go or how do I do this? So I think this is another classic example of just making moves and taking steps and you'll find what it is that you want to do, right? Well, I was listening yesterday to a podcast, you know, one of the past podcasts, and, the, and, and she was all about risk-taking. She's an Italian woman. And yeah, I think I firmly believe in taking risks. And, you know, when you take risks, you'll, you'll, you'll do more than you were ever able to do if, if you hadn't made that choice. And, but you have to be comfortable with it, right? Not, not everybody is comfortable with risk, at least on the level that I am. Um, but yes, I think you, you can't just, you know, think in a narrow way uh, and expect great things to happen. Sticking to this theme of risks, one thing I picked up on when you were talking about you were at that point in a, some juncture in your life where you you were like, okay, I could do this or what what should I do? What should be my... And one of the things you said is I could do something really risky and then you went on to some other, but in your head, what was that really risky thing that you maybe could have done or would have done, or is going into international education, getting your CELTA and, you know, teaching abroad, was that one of those really risky things? 
Yeah, to me, that was, the, I mean, the risk was quitting a job that I had could have kept, could have, you know, could have kept improving and earning more, but it, it was just boring. <laughs> um, so the risk was leaving that. But, you know, I was also like 30 at the time. And, you know, it was just a different work context. Like I I, I thought, well, if this didn't work out, I, I could come back in a couple of years and I'd still be very hireable and employable. But I, I didn't know anybody there. And <laughs> um, so that to me was the risk. All right. So I want to dig into that a little bit. A couple of things, right? So you talked about your work was boring. So it's not like you hated it or you weren't good at it, right? I mean, I'm sure you're really successful because if they were going to make you a VP, you must have been doing something really good. You know, I see a lot of people who are in jobs that they don't necessarily hate. Uh, Maybe it's not challenging them enough. So it's harder to take that risk at that point. And the second, I want you to comment on that. And the second thing is, you said, I was only 30, right? So, I mean, your runway is still long enough, right? That's what I talk to students about. When you're 16, 17, take the risk now because you can still stop the plane (laughs) before you have to pull up. Uh, So, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of those. I like that analogy. Now, the work was interesting, but I've I've always been a, uh, I've just always had a, a wanderlust and a, and, a, and, a, and a want to do more than what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And I mean, a- advertising is, it, it was very interesting. It was very creative it, it, in, in production. That's really, really a lot of work because you're always late or over budget or <laughs> something's wrong. So it's like stressful and just very, very consuming. I, I, I just couldn't see doing continuing to work at that kind of pace, doing the same thing. Like I ended up working at that kind of pace, doing something different, but I was really stimulated because it, it was very, very different for me. And I think that, you know, the, the question about the, the runway is, I mean, you have to understand what the repercussions of the risk you want to take are, right? So for me at that point, it didn't seem like it didn't, it didn't, it, it seemed like if I failed, it, it would be okay. I, I still had enough time to kind of come back and get slot myself back into the life that I, I had chosen to leave. Are you saying <laughs> there's a, an age where, that might not be as as good a choice because you know we always tell people it's like doesn't matter how old you are take the risks because you only live once no i i honestly don't because what what i didn't say before is that i did take we took another risk recently we moved to lisbon and we live in lisbon now and i was a little concerned about it because we have moved around a lot, my husband and I. And the older you get, the harder it is to find a community and make friends. So it was the thing that scared me more than anything. You know, even here in in Asheville, we don't. We only moved here a few years ago too. So we're. It seems like we're constantly saying goodbye to people and trying to to find the people that we connect with. And to my astonishment, there are thousands of people who are moving to Lisbon. Many, many, many people are over 50, are semi-retired. Many of them are alone. We talk about this all the time because I have a massive group of friends there now that are, we're all, we've all taken the same risk. We're all on the same boat. We all need to meet friends and make a community. So all of those people have taken that risk. And 
And there are people in their 60s and 70s who are doing this because they just want a better life. You know, they want to live where it's less expensive to live with, you know, universal health care. No, I don't think age really matters. You know, I think you have to follow the passion that's driving you to consider it. But there's a safety too, when you know that other people have taken that risk and they've landed safely. Yeah, I'm totally right there with you on on that one, uh, because we just recently, well, last year moved to the UK from Texas, as you know, Lisa. And uh, yeah. yeah, and that was a big risk, I think, for us at the time in the middle of the pandemic with, we, you know, we have two two kids and but sometimes you just you have to do it. You know, you have to take that risk because you can see in the long term it's going to lead to something better. Hopefully, you know, that's, that's yes. why you do it, isn't it? Because you can see that there is something else there that, that is hopefully better than where it is that you're coming from. It's so funny that you mentioned about Portugal though, because uh, Girish and I were just chatting before you came on uh, about Portugal and it's a, yeah, how it is a destination right now, a popular destination. I'm thinking maybe I need to get in on that Portugal action. <laughs> You know, Lisa, I just this past weekend joined a Facebook group that is all the people that are thinking about moving to Portugal or just moved to Portugal. And there's a lot of advice on how to and then what to do and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's definitely I'm I'm like definitely, you know, exploring it. That's a great group, by the way. <laughs> they have a really dedicated uh group of admins. Yeah, there's heaps of information and there's, you know, people are pretty happy having made the decision. So good for you for thinking about it. Oh, I'm going back to um, something that you mentioned about your switch from marketing and going into international education. You said you felt there were two things. You said you felt wanderlust and you felt like you had that need for something, something more. And it's interesting because everybody that we talked to on this podcast, who's in international education, those are two things that kind of tie everybody together. I think if you if you have that wanderlust, the career or the field or sector of international education really draws people because of the opportunity to travel. And certainly within your job, you know, everybody gets to travel. And secondly, that need to do something more. International education, no matter what part of it, and there are many facets to international education, but no matter what part of it, you are you are doing something, you are, you are making a difference, changing someone's life, bending somebody's destiny, which is what this podcast, as you know, is all about. Yeah. So you were drawn to it, I'm assuming, because of those two things that you felt you needed and it, international education as, as an industry or as a field met those two things. And do you feel that now looking back, that was definitely the right choice for you and you're happy that you followed that path. And along the way, can you tell us about a destiny bender in your life? Somebody who, as you were making that change that um, really bent your destiny? Yeah, sure. So there's a lot there. I, I, I'm very happy with the choice. I think that now, I think there are, there are probably more resources for people to understand the career paths that you can ultimately take. Like, when I was doing this, I, I didn't really know like, oh, okay, I could be a school director. And then once I became a school director, then I realized all of these other people around the world that I was working with. And I think I probably would have been better on the recruitment side just because it would have taken me on more trips. And But I, I don't regret that. I, I 
loved doing what I was doing. And I, I felt like we really genuinely were working towards creating more understanding in the world by doing what we're doing. Because, you know, you have students from 10 different countries in a classroom or more. And how can you have an opinion about a person that's sitting next to you that's not grounded in the reality that is the actual human being that's there and sharing themselves with you? So I loved that. You know, I loved the seeing the friendships that were made among students. We had an academic year program, I remember, at, um, at EF. And going to those graduations when students had to say goodbye to each other was just wrenching, you know, because you knew their lives were changed. They were changed by having been there. And I think all of us have a more worldly perspective on who we are and uh, and what's going on in the world because we know people from all of these countries that um, that we're dealing with on a on a regular basis. You know, it's hard to you ask about the people that have bent us. <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's tough to, to to choose one person. I think for me, it was the the, the people along the way that that saw that I had something to give and and pushed me into positions that were probably a little more difficult than I was ready for at the time. And and that's the kind of environment I I thrive in. Like if I'm not quite sure I can do something, I I do more because uh you know I push myself and I, I enjoy the challenge. But the woman, I think, you know, the woman who I spoke to initially in Florence way back when who said go back, get yourself to uh, and keep in touch with me is probably the key to having uh had me be successful on this this whole path. What about people that you've come in touch with, like where you have influenced their lives? I'm, I'm sure you've you know, influenced so many people over the years of your career. Can you think of a couple of people where you look back and say, just say, you know what, I really am glad that I was part of that person's life? Well, you know, I was a teacher for a while and supervisor of teachers. And I was in always in positions where I was hiring staff and mentoring staff. And I think in, in both of those ways, in both of those kinds of roles, it's not always evident the impact that you make on people at the time, right? Um, especially when you're a teacher, but you see teachers often are approached years later by students and say, you know, I remember this happened in this classroom and that was because of you that I'm doing. And occasionally that stuff happens. I, and LinkedIn is great for that <laughs> um, because it allows you to keep up with people. Um, there's a guy in Australia who regularly sends me notes thanking me for having the confidence in him that I did at the time to put him into a position that I was in. He was in um, like educational technology. And then there's another guy who I hired as a school director. And, you know, running language schools, we tend to hire people who are pretty young and <laughs> um, People that we hope can do the job, at least in the U.S., this is true. It's less true in the U.K. You know, people are generally more experienced, I think, when pushed into positions like that. But here, because for a lot of reasons, I think I, I think we push people into positions early. Um, and there was a guy who I remember looking at him. He was there to interview for a, a center director role in San Diego. And I thought, he looks like he's 18. <laughs> <laughs> you just look so young. 
he wasn't, but he wasn't a whole lot older than that. And now he's like a dean at Stanford, you know, and I, I keep seeing him be promoted and I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I, I light up when I see that kind of thing. And I think this whole language school world can do that, you know, provides a great training ground for, you know, for people with talent and you can use, you know, all of those skills that you have to have to manage a school and, and leverage them into, and, and into, into much bigger things. And that's why we do what we do. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, like you said, just to be able to watch people go through their journey, it lights you up and that's a great way to put it. But, you know, I want to go back to your Portugal and Italy, yeah. and this life you live. I'm so curious about that. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who want to kind of live that life because I want to live your life. Um, so tell us more. How do you make this work? You're living in Asheville, North Carolina, but you also live in Lisbon. It's been a crazy few years, right? So it, in a lot of ways, and and my husband and I were he was born in Florence. I met him when I um, when I was teaching there, and he, he lived here. He became an American citizen. We lived here for oh well between here and Australia, but we always kind of had a dream to go back to Europe. And he didn't want to go back to Italy. Uh, we had been to Lisbon maybe fifteen years ago, and he particularly fell in love with it because it's. It's just old Europe, you know, and it's uh, old Europe is disappearing in a way like, and I think he really felt this in Florence with the advent of so much tourism and gentrification of old things. So we always had kind of a plan to to get back there. And we finally found ourselves in a place financially and with work that we could consider, you know, living there for part of the year and living here. And that was in 2019. So the end of 2019 comes, we're packing up, we get over to Lisbon. It's February of 2020. I'm in a Portuguese language school and COVID was making its way west. So I felt like um, I just had so much empathy for the school director who had to come into the classroom and say, we're shutting down. You can all have a refund or you can study online, like all the stuff that I could imagine I would have had to do um, if I had still been a school director. So we ended up spending most of COVID um, in Lisbon, which turned out to be kind of a nice thing because we were able to explore the city even though things were shut down, we could get out and see things without throngs of tourists. And, and um, you know, I just continued to, to work kind of uh, you know, doing project work. And I was ready to, to stop all that. But then, you know, COVID hit, there was not a whole lot <laughs> else to do. And luckily, one of my contracts continued. So I was able to work through, you know, had the structure of work and not just be at home and coping with isolation, you know, in, in the ways that a lot of people had to. But things have changed. And, you know, I guess last October when we went back was really the first time that it seemed like we were actually moving there. And because people people were, were willing to get outside again and meet each other, getting back to normal. So that's kind of where it is now. That's funny. I think there's going to be two more of us moving there at some point <laughs> soon, Hungarish, you and your family, me and my family. So looking yeah. back at your career in international education, and we've talked about the different things that you've done and your progression, and you talked a bit about pathways. So, you know, this might tie into it. Give us um, something that 
a highlight or something that maybe you're the most proud of or something that you worked on and something that changed the field of international education or was maybe at the time revolutionary or different? Yeah, sure. I, I, I worked for a time for a company called UTP High Schools. They don't exist anymore. I think they've been, they've been bought. But um, this was an ex-study group colleague who was working in the pathway division and, and saw a need for what we were doing, but at the high school level, at the secondary level. And this, this was kind of early days when pathways were still getting established. There were, there were maybe 20 in the whole country at that point with a, just a handful of, of providers. And he, this guy started this company to do the, the very same thing, but in private Catholic high schools. And initially, it was just placement, homestays, and that was kind of it. But they didn't really have a curriculum. You know, they were students came in at a certain level of English, but they still needed the support of that kind of foundation year, as 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 students do. You know, in 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 um, in higher ed. So we developed this whole. I helped them develop this whole curriculum to support all of the content classes that they were taking. So these were primarily um, Chinese students at the time, although it, it did get more diverse, who were studying at a Catholic high school. They didn't have all of the context that their American counterparts had. You know, they didn't have history. They didn't have the vocabulary that was needed to succeed in their classes. That was sort of revolutionary, I think, at the time. And people weren't, even NAFSA didn't really have a very robust K to twelve, you know, membership interests. There was there were always like one or two sessions at at NAFSA in those years about about secondary ed. And then once we got that established, it was connecting those students onto institutions of higher ed. So there's this huge thousands and thousands of students studying at at the UTP group of schools that were perfect fertile field to recruit from if you were a university. So we made a network um, and some and some you know connections and pathways between those students and universities. Got students to think, oh well there are more schools to consider than Harvard and NYU and <laughs> Northeastern, you know, there are great schools um, that want you, uh, that are easier to get into. Uh, they're going to give you uh, a really great education. We were, you know, able to make those connections, which was which was pretty pretty satisfying. So, with all of your experiences, you know, in the U.S. and Europe, where do you see, and with the backdrop of COVID, when we're coming out of the pandemic, where do you see international education going? What are some predictions that you may have if you if you have your own crystal mm. ball? What are your thoughts? It's interesting that I do bits and pieces of different things right now. One of the things I do is some um, quality assurance visits, accreditation visits. And I, it's great to see the ESL uh, world coming back. It's never going to be what it was, but it's nice to see that springing back. And I was a little fearful about that because obviously technology has just accelerated at a pace that I mean, I, I think we would have gotten to where we are if COVID hadn't happened, but certainly it's all happened much more quickly. But people still see the value of studying in person somewhere else. That interest and that drive on the part of students hasn't gone away. I think ultimately we're going to be in a hybrid kind of world just because of, you know, how many parents can 
spend the kind of money that it takes to send their kids to four years of study in the U.S. plus everything else you need, living expenses and insurance. And, um, you know, so maybe that'll be truncated in a way that it wouldn't have, or maybe students can study part of their time at home online and then, you know, spend two years at a university instead of four or one year of a master's instead of two. So I, I think, um, I think probably it's ultimately going to end up in shorter stays abroad, but I don't, I don't sense it going away. It was interesting when this happened, that COVID happened at the time that I was starting to think about, you know, settling down and not working as much at, a, at an early age, I have to say, because I, I would highly advocate that not waiting until you're in your 60s to, to, to wind down if you can. But I, it felt almost like, okay, it's kind of time for the next generation to come in and, and, and come in with their passion and, and innovation, which I think the whole international education context needs and needed. So it was great to have people who could apply technology in ways that I, I would never have been able to think about. And it's it's really, it's just exciting to see what people are doing and how things are changing and morphing. Oh, great piece of advice. Jessica's only 35, so she's got plenty of years left. <laughs> I got to move it on those plans. <laughs> so, well, you uh, think about, you know, Retiring at 65, to me, that's just like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to have the energy to do then, you know, so. Exactly. No, great piece of advice. So, I mean, you've, you've had a fascinating life and career. I mean, I, I know we have to wrap up here in a minute, but we could listen to your stories all day. I'm sure we might have to revisit that. But as we transition out, um, you know, we always kind of end our recordings with some quick fire questions, just more on a personal note. Sure. And, and so I'm curious with all the travels you've done, what's your favorite food? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I, I can't point to one favorite, but obviously being Italian and having lived in Italy, I have a great amount of respect for how Italians approach food and the, you know, the, the lack of sort of bastardization of like these things, certain things are pure. Right. And as Americans, we're, you know, we, 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 we mix things together in ways. Every time I go to Southeast Asia, Thailand, gosh, you know, I could eat that stuff forever. So we'll stay on the travel theme. You said you, you moved to Portugal or you spent part of the year in Portugal. And one of the reasons was so that you could be in Europe to do a bit of traveling and explore a bit of Europe. Where's the first place you're going to go once you go back? Well, I'm going to a place that I've been, which is to Sicily. But my husband, my husband hasn't been, um, even though he was born in uh, Florence. I had a brief stint as a bicycle tour leader in the first year that I was in Italy. I, I led I led bike tours as well as teaching, and um, I got to go to Sicily and, we, and and lead bike tours there. And it was it's just so beautiful. And he hasn't been, so we're gonna you know, spend a few weeks driving around Sicily in um, December. And we're going to go to um, Scotland and to the north of England and to Ireland. We haven't been up there. Mm-hmm. And next year, I'm going to Bali and do another Southeast Asia sweep because I've never been to Bali. Wow. wow. Bike tours. There's more to this onion. Uh, <laughs> we Bike tours. About <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My last question to you is, what is one secret you can share of being an expat or living that expat life? Learn the language. 
and it's not a secret, but I think you can get by in many, many places in the world with English. And the same is true, sadly, in Lisbon. But your world changes when you can communicate with the people who've grown up in that country. And you just relate to people in a very, very different way, I think, when you can use their language instead of relying on on your own. It, it, it's really hard if you don't speak another language and you try to learn as an adult. Like Learning Italian, I think, was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. You know, my world changed when I was able to meet people who didn't speak English and have conversations with their language instead of just mine. Yeah, yeah. really good advice. Well, when you're back in Lisbon, let us know. Jess and I always uh, are willing to travel. <laughs> we'll come <laughs> come on over. You, right? Because, you know, I think we need to do some uh, recon or intel work. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. yeah, I can feel that. Yeah. Thank you so much for making time uh, to spend with us. This is amazing. I mean, what an amazing career you've had, an amazing life you've had. So. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate getting to tell my story. And I just, I hope the people feel confident in their ability to take risks. You know, if they can push one person into something they were maybe thinking about doing. I, that was kind of why I wanted to do this because there's got to be people out there who are thinking, mm, maybe could I, could I? Yes, you can do it. Go. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yes. Next time on Destiny Benders, we speak with Stav Butsis, manager of the Saudi Graduate Recruitment and Development Program at KAUST in Saudi Arabia. Thank you.